Well, it all started with the Discovery Channel's Shark Week, but now it seems that shark shows are everywhere on television. Shows about shark behavior and shark attacks are seemingly on just about every channel, and I like all of them. I don't know about you. How many of you guys watch those shark attack shows, you know? Yes. Um, I don't know. There's something intriguing about them, and I try to take notes because one of my life goals is to try not to be eaten by a shark, if at all possible. And so I'm going to share with you, starting out this morning, five ways to avoid being eaten by a shark because I've learned a lot from these shows. Number five. Follow the buddy system when swimming in the ocean, but make sure your buddy is a slow swimmer. You don't have to outswim the shark, you just have to outswim your buddy. The buddy system's really important. Number four, the fourth way to avoid a shark attack. If you don't have a buddy, swim with a pet seal. This reminds the shark that a human being looks absolutely nothing like a seal. And apparently they need to be reminded a lot. Have you noticed in all those shark attack shows it's never the shark's fault? You know, they give the shark all these excuses. Like the water was murky. The surfboard looked just like a seal. Really? I mean, it looks pretty different to me. But anyway, uh, it, it's never, you know, the shark's fault. And I love the exploratory bite. That's the best excuse of all. It's like, well, the shark really didn't want to eat that person, just wanted to take a bite. And once it found out it wasn't its normal prey, it wasn't a seal or a sea turtle, then, you know, then it stopped attacking. So it was just an exploratory bite. Unfortunately, that one exploratory bite bit the person's head off. But no big deal. I think we've got to hold sharks accountable today, folks. I don't know about you. I'm just kidding about that. Please, no letters. I know they're endangered. Okay. We all love sharks. Number three, if you want to avoid being eaten by a shark when staying at a beachfront hotel, never swim in the pool. Great white sharks breach because they're trying to get a look at tourists swimming in the hotel pool. They're checking you out. And the number two way to avoid a shark attack is never be featured on a Shark Week special in primetime unless you're a narrator or a marine biologist who is an expert on why sharks attack. Otherwise, you're probably a shark attack victim because there's no other reason for you to be on the show. And the number one way to avoid a shark attack is if you ever get caught in a tornado, make sure you have a chainsaw with you just in case it's a sharknado. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Well, this weekend, we're concluding our series that's all about diving deeper in our relationship with God and the people in our lives. And we're going to look at a shark that will keep your relationships in the shallows. Today, we're going to look at a shark that is devastating to close and deep relationships. It's a shark that will keep you distant in your relationship with God and the people closest to you. It's the shark of shame. And shame is a devastating shark that the enemy uses to attack our very soul. The shark of shame is particularly devastating in the marriage relationship. The shark of shame attacked the very first marriage, the very first relationship, and unfortunately, the shark of shame has had great success in attacking marriages and relationships ever since. So I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter two, and would you stand in honor of God's word, Woodland Church? And I have two key verses, because here we see in the first one, Adam and Eve in the perfect garden of paradise. It says in Genesis 2.25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. What a wonderful thing to feel no shame. It's not just talking about their physical appearance. It's talking about emotionally, that they were totally connected. They had nothing to hide. And there was no shame. You see, you can only be loved to the extent that you're known, and you can only be completely loved if you're completely known. And in this series, we're talking about fellowship, which is being loved and loving at the deepest level. And so you can only be known, or you can only be loved to the extent that you're known. And they were completely known and completely loved by God and each other. And that's what God wants for us in the marriage relationship and our relationship with him. But then they disobeyed God, 
Sin entered the world and the shark of shame starts circling. And here's what happens in Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Dear Lord, every one of us deal with the shark of shame. And it's one of the most powerful and destructive emotions, Lord, that we ever feel. And it causes us to do some things that just create even more distance in our relationship with you and others. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would just deliver us from the shark of shame, that you would show us, Lord, how it's that feeling of shame that can drive us right into your arms of grace and we can find peace and fulfillment. But, Lord, I know that it's all about walking in the light, being genuine and true. And, Lord, I pray that as we step into the light today, I know it will make us uncomfortable. And I know, Lord, I I usually want to just step right back out of the light and hide because I don't want anyone to know all of the ugliness, Lord Jesus, in my life. But, Lord, I pray that you would help every one of us step into the light and stay in the light so that it turns from that uncomfortable feeling to the warmth and the light of your love, being totally accepted, totally loved, I thank you, Lord, that you know the good, bad, and the ugly about us, and you love us completely. And because you know us completely, more than we even know ourselves, then you can love us completely. And so, Lord, help us rest in your amazing, unconditional love today. Break through and bring healing as only you can in Jesus' name, in marriages, in families, in relationships today. I pray that you'd bring healing in hearts and lives and emotions. Heal us, Lord, in those deepest, darkest, broken places as only you can. We thank you for what you've been doing this weekend. We ask you to continue it, Lord, in such a powerful way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Now let me tell you really what you need to do if you're attacked by a shark, God forbid. If you're attacked by a shark, all the experts say, what you have to do is punch the shark in the nose, poke the shark in its eyes. Sharks don't like that. They're not used to their prey fighting like that, and they'll usually leave you alone. Instead of swimming away in fear, you gotta face the shark head on, and that's the way it is with shame. Whenever you run from shame, the shame just grows, but it's so natural for us to run from that powerful feeling of shame. But the only way to overcome shame and grow closer in a relationship is you have to step into the shame, face it head on, and as you face it head on and bring it to Christ, then you find grace. When you run from shame, it's really a flight from grace. The more shame you're dealing with, here's the amazing thing, the more potential you have to experience God's grace. And it's an amazing thing. God's grace. And so you can face it head on or you can feed it. And a lot of us feed shame. Several years ago, Chris and I did a shark dive on a vacation and she talked me into it. She said, it'd be so fun, you know, feeding sharks in the open ocean. And I said, that doesn't sound, it sounds stupid. But she'd, oh, it'd be adventurous. And, And Chris is so adventurous. So it's like, you know, she talks me into these things all the time. My life would be really boring and safe without her. But we did the shark dive, and what you do, you just you dive down with a dive master. There's about five or six other people with us, and you just get on your knees in um, about 60 feet of water. You're on the bottom of the ocean, and the sharks start showing up right when you dive in because uh, they're used to being fed. And so they know it's feeding time, and then the dive master starts bringing out some chum and some you know, some small fish and starts letting them go and then the sharks just start going after it, you know, kind of a feeding frenzy. And these are like six foot, seven foot black tip reef sharks that if you're floating in the ocean, they'll eat you. 
but apparently they like this a little better than humans, so they eat that, and we're watching them, and, and they get in such a frenzy, they will just bump up against you trying to get to that food. And afterwards, Chris admitted, yeah, that was pretty dumb that we did that. But you see, the sharks are so programmed and used to being fed, they always show up. And the problem is we feed our shame. We do some things when we feel the powerful feeling of shame. We want to get rid of it. It's so painful that we do some things that feed shame and make it grow and cause even more distance. You are made for community. You are made to be loved at that deepest level. You are made for deep connection. The Bible calls it fellowship. But shame, if you feed it, will keep you from what you want most. Years ago, they did a psychological experiment with babies. They call the still face experiment, where they would have a mom just keep her face still and not show any reaction to the little one. And it would make the little one feel so uncomfortable and it would, it would bring on this feeling of shame because when we think of shame, we think it's when we do something wrong, you know, when, when we've done something that is so shameful that we don't want to admit it, and that's a big part of shame. But it's also when we miss out on connection, when we feel disconnected from those we love, when we have that disconnection the feeling of shame that we're not valuable starts coming up in our hearts and lives. And even in the still face experiment, you can see it in a little child because we're wired for connection. Just watch. Hey, welcome Dr. Paul. Dr. Paul Looney is our, one of our great pastors and also a psychiatrist, medical doctor. And uh, Paul introduced me to that video and just the power of that. That was a little uncomfortable watching that, wasn't it? A little disconcerting. I want you to know that baby turned out okay. <laughs> Thank you for having me, Dr. Uh, Pastor Kerry. Yeah, I love that video because it demonstrates how painful it is when we reach out to connect and we don't get a loving response. We know from research that babies find their value, their worth in the face of their mother. And, and we all find our worth in relationship. We're, because we're made in the image of God, as you said, we were created for connection. We are wired for love. And when we don't get it, in the, especially in the face of those that we care the most about, our sense of value plummets. And the baby, although it had no words to express it, express it was undoubtedly feeling the shame of disconnection. And what we know is the face of shame is the face of of uh, looking away, of covering up. Because when we feel that, the, that our bids for attention are not being received, we feel worthless. Yeah, and so, you know, we usually think of shame as when you do something bad and, you know, you feel shame about it, but shame is also that disconnection and feeling like you're not valuable. Exactly. Yeah, whenever we do something that... Um, betrays who we want to be in relationship. We are going to feel that sense of being defective or broken or falling short, that I'm not enough. And that's really at the heart of shame. It's the, the fear or the feeling of disconnection. Well, that's good. You know, it's, it, a lot of times I'll feel like I don't have what it takes, you know, uh, to connect or I don't have what it takes to do what I need to do and, or, you know, or I'm not enough. Exactly. Well, even, even being up here on the stage today, I have those feelings like, oh, shoot, you know, do I have what it takes? And I think all of us, if we're honest, have those feelings um, regularly because the reality is we are not enough for all that we wish to do. Um, we live in a gap between what we wish for, what ought to be, or the ideal, and what is the reality. And in that gap is where we experience grief, we experience disappointment and frustration, but if we can't deal with that uh, grief in a healthy way, it turns to shame. It, it, it causes us to feel that we are inadequate, we are defective, and we are um, separated from the good of relationship. We feel that we're on the outside looking in. Wow. So with shame, it really is all about, you know, that feeling of I'm worthless, I'm no good. And so Guilt and shame are two different things, right? What's the difference between guilt and shame? Well, guilt predominantly refers to our actions um, that we do 
that are, that are bad, that are sinful, that, that um, are hurtful to ourselves or to other people. And, and guilt is that healthy feeling when you do bad that you can repent of it, you can confess it, and you can make amends. You can get back to good again. Um, so guilt is about what I do. Shame is about who I am. Um, so if I do something, um, let's, let's say I, I said something bad about the church or something nasty about you, which I wouldn't do, um, <laughs> but I should feel guilt about that. But if I bomb in the message this morning, I'm going to feel shame. I'm going to, even though I didn't technically do anything evil or bad, I feel that I've blown it and I'm not enough. Right. And so guilt is something that God can use to make you realize you need to repent and get his forgiveness. And guilt means I did something bad, but shame is I am bad. I am worthless. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So Paul says in Romans three twenty three, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're made in God's image, but we fall woefully short of what we're created to be. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about Adam and Eve and how they experienced that shame and it caused such disconnection. Awesome. So in the beginning, as you said, they were naked and unashamed. They had such a trust with God and such a connection with him, like that baby in the video, that trust held them in that gap between the ideal and the real. They could see that they were very small in comparison with God, but that trusting relationship made them feel okay, like little babies who have no sense of shame. They feel so connected to mommy and daddy that they don't feel shame. They can run around naked without shame. That's, the, that's what they had in the yeah. garden. Sadly, something happened. At a certain moment, the enemy crept in, as he does in all of our lives, and he introduced doubt. The enemy knows that if he can take you out of trust and put you into doubt, he wins the day because doubt causes us to suspect that the persons or even God who we're in relationship with are not going to be there for us. Um, He caused Eve to doubt that God was holding her and made her imagine that God was holding out on her. Um, that what she really needed from God, he was not willing to give. And so if God, if, if Satan could make God look bad to Eve, he has an easy job making look, me look bad to my mate. Um, but, but doubt is really the thing that destroys trust. Um, when we trust, we can freely engage with one another. But when Eve began to doubt the goodness of God, what does she do? She doesn't go to God to try to reconnect with him. She doesn't talk to Adam about it. She takes matters into her own hands. And when we try to avoid um, connection because of our fear or our doubt about being able to connect, that's when we get in trouble. Um, we, that's when we take things in our own hands. And when she did that and then handed it off to Adam, that's when things went very badly. So we try to, when we feel that shame and that doubt, we try to control it, don't we? Yes. And that's really just playing God, isn't it? Yeah. It, it is. We, we want to fix our problem of shame. Mm-hmm. We want to prove to ourselves or others that we are enough, that we are worthy, because nobody likes to be a beggar. Everybody likes to feel entitled to get what they got. And that is a recipe for disaster because we cannot fix our problem. We depend on others and upon God to get us back into connection. When we try to keep the connection going on our own, we end up manipulating others and it goes south quickly. Let me ask you this, Paul. I know that, you know, as a baby, the baby is used to, you know, that trust. There's no reason for the baby not to trust. And then as we grow up, we get let down. We let others down. We get betrayed. Our trust gets betrayed. We betray others' trusts in the marriage relationship and families and friendships. And so then you know that betrayal is a real possibility or breaking trust is a real possibility. And you're aware of that and that doubt can really take over then. Is that right? That's right. So then that's when, when we experience that, those breaches, those breaks in connection that cause us to feel shame, that's when we adopt strategies to keep ourselves safe. Like that little baby who was in such distress, we tell ourselves, I'm never gonna feel that rejection again, that, sh- that shame or that pain again. And so we develop strategies to prevent us from feeling our shame. That's what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve. There are four maneuvers that 
they show clearly for us and help us to learn how shame shows up in our lives. And what are those? What's the first, what's the first thing they did? Because it seems like that this would prevent us from feeling that terrible pain, but it just makes things worse, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. So the first thing we read earlier in the, in the, the passage in Genesis, they got busy covering up. They sewed fig leaves together to cover the parts of their bodies that God had intended to connect them. They suddenly felt unsafe, even with each other, because having eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, judgment became a possibility. Disdain, exploitation, lust, abuse, all the things that before had been unthinkable suddenly came into their consciousness, and so it was no longer safe to be vulnerable, and they covered up. And that cover-up just keeps us from a close relationship, doesn't it? It does, because as you said earlier, if you are, do not let yourself be known fully, you cannot be loved fully. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a shrimp of a kid, terrible at sports, felt a lot of shame about that. And so I covered that up by throwing myself into artistic pursuits and academics um, to convince myself and other people that I was worthy of love. Sadly, when we cover up, we don't allow others to accept us fully. We put a facade up, and they can accept that facade. We can get their love to a certain point, but like you say, it keeps us in the shallows of relationship. We cannot let them touch the depths of our souls if we cover up. Another word you could use there is compensate. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of the activities that we engage in, whether it be work or cleaning house Mm -hmm. or working out, a lot of what we're doing is trying to compensate for our feeling that we are not enough. That's so interesting. Sadly, the better that strategy works, the less you are aware that you're being driven by shame. Mm. If, you're, if you're buff and your house is neat and tidy and you've got the right car in the, in the garage and kids in the right schools, you may not feel your shame. Mm. But what, in those dark moments when we realize the truth about ourselves, we all know we are not enough. Wow. It's so powerful because sometimes in that compensation, there can be worldly success and you can cover it up. Oh, yeah. It drives a ton of activity that pushes us to perform because if we get those accolades, if people say, oh, that was awesome, you're so good, you're the best, that for a moment at least makes us feel we are worthy. But it doesn't heal those deep wounds in our heart, does it? No. In fact, um, the the, uh, actor Jim Carrey says he wishes that everyone on the planet could experience unlimited wealth and fame because they would still realize that does not satisfy the longing of our souls. And what else did they do? So after the cover-up, they still didn't feel safe. And so the next maneuver was to withdraw from relationship, to hide out. And if I fear that my cover is going to be blown, that I'm going to be seen for who I am, I just exit stage left. I just get out of the the situation. For Adam and Eve, it was hiding in the trees of the garden. And what happens in this maneuver is often we will grab onto something that was intended for one purpose and use it for another. Um, It could be alcohol or cleaning house or spending money. or We withdraw into some activity that we can control to give us relief from the sense of shame. Ironically, though, the more time we spend on that activity, whether it be surfing the internet or looking at pornography or drinking alcohol, the more we feel shame show up again. And it can become this feedback loop where I do something to um, mollify or to uh, medicate my sense of shame, but then it brings more shame and we get in that deep, Vicious cycle. So shame is the thing that keeps us stuck in our addictions yes. and our hangups. And it, because we feel this powerful shame, we want to get rid of it. And those things get rid of it for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. We, if, we, if we can't depend on God and the people around us to, to, to restore our sense of well-being, we turn to a substance or an activity that we can control. Sadly, the things that we can control eventually control us. Yeah. And it just makes it worse. And the shame is worse. Yeah. Totally. So, yeah, and we can get to that place where we just are, to that place where we, we are completely mired in addiction and shame. And the only way out, fortunately, is to connect at that lowest moment. Wow, and one of the good things about that is when you get stuck in something like that, eventually you can't cover it up any longer. Exactly. Yeah. But most, for most of us, we don't come out of our hiding 
until we're called out of our hiding. Of and this is what God does for Adam, and it's what he does for a lot of us. We don't know how to come out of the shadows because we, it's too scary to risk being seen. But God calls us out. He says, Adam, where are you? And so we, we will all have moments when someone we love or God himself will invite us to step out of darkness into light. Sadly, most of us will do what Adam did initially. <laughs> Instead of uh, letting the this, this spotlight um, shine on our hearts and our behavior, we want to shift the spotlight somewhere else. We want to blame and attack other people. Well, it's your fault. Um, Adam says, this woman you gave me, it's her fault. Well, it's actually your fault. You gave her to me. Yes. We always want to take the focus off ourselves. If I say something that hurts my wife, my knee-jerk response is to say, well, you just took it the wrong way. You're just too sensitive. It's not my fault. We desperately- I've used that many times, <laughs> and it never works. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah, blame just creates more disconnection. And for the moment, it takes the spotlight off of us. But in the long run, it alienates us more from others. At the heart of shame is alienation. It's that sense of being disconnected. And all of our maneuvers are, are attempting to cover our shame, but they drive it deeper. Wow. And so really when we blame others, you know, well, it's their fault. It's, you know, the, the way I was raised, this happened. Or, you know, when we're blaming everything else and making excuses, we're just trying to get rid of that pain of shame. Exactly. The blame comes out of shame. Right, yeah. right. So in the, in, in, when we think about shame in terms of who's right and who's wrong, we will always try to convince ourselves that we are right and somebody else is at fault. Um, God invites us to step out of the blame game and to be authentic and to share from our hearts and not from our heads. But that tree of knowledge of good and evil um, caused Adam and Eve to move from authentic living from their heart of love to living from a head where we can judge and we, it's all about doing right. Yeah, so somebody's right, somebody's wrong, somebody's, exactly. yeah. Yeah, before the, the fall, Adam could inadvertently put his elbow on Eve's hair, she turns her head and says, ouch, he would immediately say, oh, let me kiss it. Mm -hmm. But after they, they came into that sense of the law, which, which says if you sin, you die, if you do wrong, you deserve to be punished, and if somebody's hurt, somebody has to pay, same scenario, Adam accidentally puts his elbow down in her hair. She turns her head, says, ouch. What comes out of his mouth immediately is, well, I didn't mean to do it. Well, you turned your head. You're so sensitive. It's not my fault. Mm -hmm. That blaming comes to us immediately yeah. because we don't want to be at fault. We want yep. it to be somebody else's problem. Oh, that's good, Paul. And then what happened? Because they moved to that last step, which is really the most dangerous and can keep you from an authentic relationship. Yeah. So Adam turns to, I mean, God turns to Eve and says, what have you done? Um, he's trying to get her to own up to her guilt, but she can't get, out, get away from the, the impact of shame. So instead of acknowledging her responsibility for what she did, she dodges responsibility. Yep. She justifies what she did based on something that's happened to her. Well, the serpent deceived me, and so I ate. Like, what could you expect? It's, I didn't do anything that I was able to do differently. It's like saying to the officer, I didn't see the sign. You know, We want to claim ignorance or weakness. Well, I'm not Jesus. We want to excuse ourselves from responsibility. And this maneuver, as you said, is the most dangerous because it works really well. It's always possible for us to find an excuse or justification. And we have to be careful because when we look for an excuse, we'll find it. Mm. Um, I'm one of those people that often runs late and I can tell you, I spent years looking for an excuse. Oh, the traffic was bad. Oh, I lost my keys. Whatever the excuse, because I wanted to let myself off the hook. What I didn't realize is that when we let ourselves off the hook, we have no ability to deal with the problem. Um, and we rob others of the ability to have their feelings. If I say, well, I'm a busy doctor, then my, my client or my patient um, is robbed of the, their right to feel disappointed or frustrated that I'm late. Um, but if I take responsibility and just say, I'm so sorry I kept you waiting. No matter what might have been going on in my world, maybe it's a legitimate reason, but we have to deal with the heart. We have to deal with the pain and not with the blame or yeah. the responsibility. If we have no responsibility, we have no freedom. 
I know my brain can come up with all kinds of excuses to justify my behavior. And it seems like that this culture, our culture we live in, and, and kids growing up in this culture are growing up in a justification culture where nothing's ever their fault, and it's causing all kinds of damage to them and to society. Yeah, we all want to see ourselves as good people. Thankfully, the Bible tells us there are no good people. Yeah. Um, when Jesus is called good teacher, he says, no one is good but God alone. And so part of what Adam and Eve needed to see is that it wasn't about proving their worthiness. Um, it was about standing before God and risking being uh, vulnerable, risking yeah. vulnerability. And that's what we all need to learn because the, the problem of shame is not something we can solve ourselves. We started out with that, the, the diagram of the, what, ought, what is real and what is ideal. And we can, we can try harder. We can get better. But the gap between who we are and what God asks of us is as far as the heavens are above the earth. We can never bridge that gap through our own efforts. We are hopelessly dependent on God and others to help heal our shame. Wow. So what's the answer? You know, alienation is what shame causes at the root of shame. But what's at the root of that healing? Well, the, the root of healing, at the heart of healing, is acceptance and affirmation. And that happens when we encounter grace. Grace is unmerited favor. And so it's at that, those moments when we deserve it the least that we need it the most. That's when we need grace, is when we have bombed, when we've blown it, when we've fallen woefully short of the ideal. That's our invitation to grace. And that's what God wanted Adam and Eve to find that day in the garden. Yeah, and the, what God does is so powerful when he gives them grace, doesn't he? It's, it's so cool because he, the, the, the thing that he, he wants Adam and Eve to see a couple of things that day. One is your nakedness problem, the fact that you are not enough is something you cannot solve on your own. Um, you, all you can do is to show up and ask for grace, ask for mercy. And so, uh, so God uh, wants them to know that he's gonna deal with their problem. Um, they were expecting to die that day because of what God had said to Adam, the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. They were, I think, probably expecting physical death, but instead God did something powerful. He said to them, uh, in a very powerful way, I will, I'm willing to fix your problem for you. And what he did that day was to clothe them, take care of their nakedness by clothing them with animal skins. Right. And they were trying to cover up, but God clothes them with these animal skins. But you pointed out to me the other day as we were talking about this, that those that animals had to die. I'd never thought of that. You know, that when God clothed them with animal skins, that meant some of the animals had to die. Sure. Yeah. And, and the way I imagine it, Carrie, is that, that that day when God called forth a couple of gazelles or deer, um, sheep or lambs to give their life for their king and queen, for their masters, that Adam and Eve had such a connection with those animals that it would have horrified them to see that these creatures that they loved were going to be sacrificed on their behalf. Yes. And probably they, they, they were like, no, no, kill us. But God, I believe, had them watch because he wanted them to see something very powerful. And that is that even though God will care, take care of our shame and our guilt, the consequences of our sin will fall hardest on those in our care. Mm. The things we do, God will forgive, but they will harm the people that are in our care. If you had a moral failing, Carrie, God would forgive you, but it would cause tremendous damage and pain to the people who look to you for pastoring, for leadership, uh, for authority. Um, and that's what Adam and Eve saw that day is that their sin has consequences. When we, when we step away from God's plan, um, it hurts those that we love. And doesn't that help you want to change, like Adam and Eve want to walk into that grace because they see the consequences of their sin? It's not that they're awful. It's that the sin is so destructive. Exactly. When I work with a man, for instance, who has had an affair or looked at pornography and his wife is devastated, when he sees the pain of his sin on the face of his beloved, that is often what a man tells me, gives him the power to shift. 
I believe that, that God allows us to experience the devastation of sin partly because he wants us to hate it the way he does. And he doesn't hate sin because it's morally reprehensible or evil or nasty. He hates sin because it destroys intimacy. It, just, it wrecks vulnerability. It uh, kills innocence. And that's why God hates sin. Mm. So the answer to shame is we can't run from it. We just have to bring it to the cross. And the animals being sacrificed is a foreshadowing of Christ, ultimate sacrifice. Totally. Yeah, the cross is, is, is where we go to see in graphic terms the consequences of our sin. When I was growing up, Carrie, I knew I could make my dad mad, but I didn't know I could hurt him. And it wasn't until just shortly before he died, when I was 31, that I realized I had the power to hurt my dad. And what the cross does for all of us as believers is it lets us know that our sin doesn't just make God angry or tick him off. Our sin causes him the kind of grief that that little child in the video was feeling. Mm. When, we, when God reaches out to us and we reject him, we disobey him, we rebel against him, the cross is a manifestation of what it does to the heart of God. Wow. Praise God that we have the cross mm-hmm. to take away our guilt. Yeah. Share with us anything else, Paul, that's on your heart. For Well, the, 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 the bottom line is that we are called to continue to be authentic, mm-hmm. to continue to reach out, to be courageous and be who we are, even though we know we are not all we wish to be. And Jesus, who was perfect, experienced what? He experienced shame. He experienced um, disdain. He experienced rejection, betrayal, and loss. And he tells us if we follow him, we're going to experience the same thing. So what he does for us in the cross is he shames the shame. Hebrews says, Jesus endured the cross. He despised the shame for the joy set before him. Um, in, in, in the words of your message, he hit shame in the face. Yeah. Um, he was not willing to be controlled by it. He, he allowed himself to be hung naked on the cross. His hands were nailed so he could not cover up or point the finger of blame. His feet were nailed so he could not walk away or withdraw. And even in, in standing before Pilate, when he was condemned and judged, he would not defend or justify himself. He leads the way in showing us that we can stand before God naked and unashamed. And we can stand up to judgment knowing that he is the source of our worth. Wow. If we hear the word, of the, bless, the word of God, it is enough. In the song that was sung before the service, Jehovah, Jireh, you are enough. Jireh means provision. And when I'm not enough, he is enough. Yeah. Several years ago, I was um, in my quiet time, Pastor Kerry, and um, I felt like God said, do you want me to show you something about shame? I'm like, yes, because (laughs) shame is something I deal with every day. Um, And so he led me to Psalm 34, which the first few verses I was very familiar with from an old chorus that I used to sing. But in verse 5, there was a passage that had never really hit me until that day. And it says this, Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. What that means to me is that when I look down at myself, I can feel pretty wretched, pretty inadequate, pretty broken and defective. It's dark. But when I look to Jesus, when I look to the face of the Father and see that radiant acceptance and affection that he has for every one of us, like the moon turned toward the sun, my face can glow. Mm. And Paul, you head up the restoration ministry, our counseling ministry, but you always like to say with our restoration ministry on Tuesday nights, it's a no shame zone. Exactly. So we we, we started out the message talking about how we were wired for connection. And the, the sad thing is that the enemy wants us to think that we have to show up in our glory to get the connection we long for. But restoration um, is a place where you show up at your worst moment. You're willing to reveal the darkest secret in a place where you will be joined and connected, not on the basis of your goodness or or inherent worth, but on the basis of the common grief that we feel in our inadequacy. 
And, and we know that it's safe there to say, I'm not enough, because we found God to be enough. And that connection that you forge with people, when you're authentic with them and let them see the worst, is the sweetest and deepest connection you're going to find. It's powerful. Just, you know, laying it all out there and knowing you find love and acceptance and grace in Christ and in others mm-hmm. to help and, you overcome. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the great thing is, Carrie, is that even then, once you do put it out there and maybe somebody does belittle or reject or condemn you, it just flows off. Yeah. When we're covered in the righteousness of Jesus, um, it shields us from taking too seriously the praise of men or the disdain of others. We can dwell in that place um, where the, the light of Christ shines on us. In the, in the blessing from Leviticus 6, it says, the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. Yeah. And when, when God's face is shining on you, if you're looking to him for your worth, you got a place to stand. You have nothing to defend. And the darker your background, the brighter the light of Christ will shine through you. So in a way, shame can be a good thing because it can push us to the only one who can make us enough. Jesus. Exactly. Even in my marriage, when I'm at my worst moment, those moments of shame are the place where I can ask for grace, not because I deserve it, but because I need it. And though I don't like to be needy, it's where God has us. He wants us to feel our need for grace. So we'll come to him and we'll come authentically and courageously into relationship with those we love. And it's in those relationships, in our family, in our marriages, where we need the most grace. Exactly. We have to be yeah. real. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So anytime we, we, we open up, share our faith, share our failures or our feelings, um, we're taking a risk. But God has given us courage through our relationship with Jesus that we can endure the cross like he did. We can take up our cross daily. We've overcome shame by facing it and um, by poking it in the eyes and <laughs> hitting like it in the nose. If we resist the enemy, he'll flee from us. Mm. That's the good news. It's awesome. Thank God for Dr. Paul and all the ministries that he does here at Wilden Church. It's so powerful. Thank you. I want to read you Ephesians 1.7. It says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. When Christ faced shame and despised shame on the cross and he shed his perfect sinless blood, he gave his life and he shed his blood to wash away all of our sins and all of our shame so that we can walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with each other. This church is a no shame zone where we can bring the good, bad, and the ugly and we can find his love and we can find victory. And the only way you'll ever find victory over your struggles is to bring them into the light and to admit that you have those struggles. And I love this next verse because Isaiah prophesied what Jesus was coming to do when he said that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. Christ took those wounds upon himself on the cross so that we can be healed of shame. We can be healed of our sins so that we can experience healing in those deepest, darkest places in our emotions healing from the hurts from the past that have been inflicted upon us, healing from the hurts that we've inflicted upon ourselves, healing, and I believe, just as he was here last night to bring healing, the Spirit of God is here to bring healing today. Wherever you're at, worshiping online, whatever campus you're at, he's here to bring healing but look at this last verse in James 5, 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so God can heal you. When a believing person prays, great things happen. So we confess our sins to God to receive forgiveness and grace that only he can give, but then he wants us to confess to someone else that we trust, someone else that's trustworthy, and healing takes place. We confess to God for forgiveness, we confess to someone else for healing and for victory. 
And God wants you to experience healing over shame, healing over your greatest struggle. He wants to heal those deepest, darkest places that we all have in our lives. And so today, we're gonna have our prayer team, trustworthy leaders of Woodland Church out at the prayer fountain. And I really challenge you to go out there and just share with them a prayer request, a hurt, a need, a struggle. Share with them in confidence and they will pray with you and you will start the healing process. God wants to bring healing today. I don't know what kind of healing it is in your life, but he wants to bring healing today. And he wants us all to live in a no shame zone where when we feel the powerful feeling and pain of shame, we don't run from it, but we look to Jesus and our faces are never covered with shame. I want us to bow our heads. And if you've never received Christ in your life, you can't live in a no shame zone. You need Jesus. And if you've never received the grace and forgiveness of Christ that we all need, then you can do that right now. Just pray this prayer silently in your heart as if you're the only one in this place. Just say, dear Jesus Christ, I need you. I need you because I have sinned and I have deep, dark places in my life and I, I could never measure up and I can never be enough. I could never have what it takes. So I ask for your free gift of forgiveness of all my sins through your precious, sinless blood. And I ask for you to take away all my shame. Lord, I, I want to live for my true, authentic self and be a new creation in you and and I don't want to hide my faults and struggles. I want to live authentically and bring them to you and keep looking to you. And I ask for you to grow me and to help me grow in my faith. I accept your free gift of heaven. I accept your free gift of salvation. And I ask you to be the Lord of my life from now on. And Lord, I know that I'll still have struggles. I'll still sin at times. I'll still have places that need healing, but Lord, I, I wanna be honest about them and walk in faith and in your light. And Lord, I pray for everyone who's been hiding because of shame, that you would help every one of us, Lord, step into your light, even though it will be uncomfortable at first, but to walk in your light, and as we walk in the light, we'll find the warmth of your unconditional love Lord, you love us completely because you know us completely. You know everything about me. You know everything about every person within the sound of my voice, and yet you love them completely. You love me completely. So help me walk, Lord, in the light of truth so I can experience your grace. And I pray for those who are filled with shame that you would show them that the more shame, the more grace, if they'll bring it to you. Lord, thank you for your grace that we could never earn or deserve. Bring healing today in marriages and in families and relationships as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's thank the Lord for his healing grace that we live in and walk in. And now we're at the point of our service where we give back to God. Our ushers are gonna come now and take our offering and we encourage you to give, um, you know, whatever you can for God's glory. Um, we encourage and challenge you to put God first in your finances. And you can also give by taking out your smartphone and just texting the word GIVEWC to 77977. Or you can give online, go to wc.org give, and you can get set up for recurrent giving. You can also give by mailing in your gift. You can give stocks, you can give assets, just call the church, but give for the glory of God. We are stepping out in the middle of a pandemic and we are making an impact through our over 100 ministries and missions all over the world. But the reason we give is because we love Jesus and we believe his word when he says we can't outgive him. What a joy it is to give. What a joy it is to give to the Lord knowing that he's gonna meet our needs. Let's give and let's thank him for all that he's given us. And maybe you've sort of gotten out of the habit of giving. Give. Get back in the habit. 
You know, all these things are spiritual habits. Coming to church is a spiritual habit. And some of you who are worshiping online are worshiping on the other side of the world. And I'm so grateful for our online campus. And some of you are worshiping right here in the Woodlands or Atascacita or in the Tomball area. You're worshiping right here because you're maybe immunocompromised or you're in a vulnerable group. And I think that's wonderful. Be safe. But then others of you, you're going to Walmart three times a day and you're hanging out with friends, you're at the ballpark, get your rear end here at church, okay? God wants you to be in community and to get back in the habit. It's all habits, spiritual habits, spiritual habit of fellowship and community, the spiritual habit of being in a life group, the spiritual habit of giving, the spiritual habit of a daily quiet time. It's all spiritual habits. It's not about feelings, it's about faith. And God bless us. Let's stand Woodland Church and let's sing to the Lord. And let's declare that we have the maker of heaven and the maker of earth. And yet, he loves us so much that he made a way for us. He knows everything you're going through. And I believe with all my heart today, if you'll keep stepping into the light this week, taking those steps of faith, that he's gonna open up doors and he will make a way where there seems to be no way. Maybe you feel like you're at a dead end in some area of your life. Take a step of faith this week. And when you take a step of faith, God starts building a bridge. He builds it one step at a time. When you take a step of faith, the barrier comes down and God opens a door for you to walk through because he will make a way for you. If he can make heaven and earth, he can make a way for you. And he will make a way for you this week. Let's just thank him in advance and praise him that he's gonna make a way for you this week. He's the maker of heaven and earth. Let's sing it and proclaim it to him. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.